0: What's up, everyone? Welcome into another episode of Locked On Bucks. On today's show, we're going to continue media day coverage. Further comments from Jordan Wara saying that maybe something clicked in his mind this offseason. What about Drew Holiday talking about Joe Ingalls? Is Joe Ingalls' personality in this locker room perhaps one of the biggest additions in his repertoire as he brings to the Bucks? And what about Darvin Ham with the Los Angeles Lakers? Are we going to see a familiarity with the Lakers? This year, with what we've seen at the Bucks, we're going to discuss all that and plenty more on today's show. So let's get started. Maxim Down. To Locked On Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Piffin. You can see and hear me on this show Monday to Friday, and also find my other work over at ESPN writing solo for today's Thursday episode that is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. That's Bet Online where the game starts, and I'll get into that in a little more detail later on in the show. Of course, we thank you for making Locked On Bucks your first listen or first watch. Of every day, uh, If you haven't subscribed already, uh, you're making a bit of a mistake there. You certainly should do so, particularly with preseason basketball only a few days away for the Milwaukee Bucks, which is hard to believe. Uh, for everything that we discussed through the offseason when it comes to the NBA, and in particular, the Milwaukee Bucks, you feel like the offseason drags on forever. Then you get to media day, and then it's literally one week later that you're watching basketball, Giannis and all the uh, the key players on this Bucks team that we're excited to hopefully get back and have another long playoff run. So just continuing to go through some of the media day coverage uh, that we've had on this podcast. If you've missed earlier podcasts from uh, earlier this week with Justin Garcia, who was there on media day, then Frank Madden and myself went through in detail Jordan War's contract. So you can go back and listen to those two podcasts there and give us your feedback. We've got a question today. Uh, from a listener that came through on Twitter. So you can also always do that on YouTube or certainly on my Twitter there that you can see on the screen if you are watching on YouTube, at Kane Pittman. So let's talk about uh, Grayson Allen a little bit here now. Uh, Those that have listened to this podcast for a little while will know that I'm pretty optimistic about what Grayson Allen can potentially bring to the table this year for the Milwaukee Bucks. And a big reason why is that I think there will be a return to a role that suits him. Grayson Allen at his age, one actually one of the younger players on this Bucks roster, but at that 26, 27 year old range, I think we've seen what Grayson Allen is going to be in terms of what role perfectly suits him in the NBA system. And that is that he's a role player. Maybe not the perfect role player in for the modern NBA in terms of defensive versatility. Can you defend multiple positions? Do you have that elite wing size? No, but he's an elite shooter. And I think... As we've looked at the Bucs, try and build a roster around Giannis in recent years. A guy like Grayson Allen, who is a knockdown shooter that we did see do that in the postseason, yes, in the first round against the Chicago Bulls, that was his ideal role for this team in a postseason setting. Unfortunately, he was asked to do a little bit more in the series against Boston, but I think with the additions that the Bucs have, and we're going to continue to talk through them on this show, I think he's going to be in a position to have a really big season even though he has been a guy that has been a part of many trade discussions with fans through the offseason, really just by virtue of his contract, the $10 million deal um, that people can put his salary in uh, to potentially acquire another player. But this is a guy that started for the majority of the regular season last year, played major minutes, and I just think that he is one of the real areas for growth for this team. We know he was caught in a sling. So he was back at Duke University uh, going back a, a few months ago. Now, he was wearing a sling on his left arm. And again, this is a uh, Twitter sleuths that oftentimes find these injuries, particularly in the offseason. So his left ring figure, he had to uh, have something fixed. But he spoke about it on media day and said that the dislocation was so bad on his left ring finger by the end of the season that he had to actually use his opposite hand to straighten the finger, which first of all sounds kind of gross, kind of disgusting. It certainly sounds uh, painful. And perhaps most importantly, it does not at all seem ideal if you're all of a sudden in a situation against an elite, elite defensive team like the Boston Celtics, And you're Grayson Allen and all of a sudden you're thrust into this role where it's like, hey, by the way, you're basically a backup ball handler. We need you to do more than just stand and knock down, catch and shoot three. So just one of those little things. Again, uh, I'm not suggesting that this was any reason why he he played poorly against the Boston Celtics. I, I just don't think that it helps. Ultimately, I think that he was asked to do a little bit more than that. So that's the real reason. Um, But I would think for a basketball player, having a finger that you literally can't straighten on your own hand would be problematic. So that was just an interesting tidbit from Grayson Allen. Again, let us know, are you on board with Grayson Allen staying with the Bucs? Are you someone that does want him to be traded uh, for a potential package? Let us know uh, what you think about that. George Hill, we spoke about a little bit over the course of the last two episodes. There was some interesting social content that came out today, and it was basically... The Bucs asking different players which teammate they would most like to dunk on or put on a poster. So, yeah, Giannis said Brooke Lopez, which, fair enough, one of the best rim protectors in the league. You'd like to throw down on him. I thought that was a pretty fun answer. Uh, but one little tidbit that came out, because remember, we've spoke a lot about George Hill's uh, health or lack of towards the back end of last season. And Jordan War actually said that George Hill... So Jordan Morris said that he wants to dunk on George Hill, first of all, which is, you know, that's, we don't want to pick on the elder members of this team, Jordan. So come on, give yourself a challenge. He's also uh, one of the the smaller players on the team. So not a great answer, Jordan Warren, not very cool. But George Hill said that he dunked on or he tried to dunk on Serge Barker. Now, that's a challenge for George Hill to dunk on Serge Barker. But yeah, we have heard George Hill talk about the extent of his health concerns and his injuries. So I know there's no vision of this, but I I honestly, you know, at the time of the season when you're just listening to hear for anything, the fact that George Hill was trying to throw down on Sergio Barker tells me maybe he's feeling a little bit better because I would say that towards the back end of last season and particularly during the postseason, uh, I, I couldn't really imagine George Hill dunking on anyone or barely jumping off the floor. So... Oh, he's a watch. Again, I think Bucks fans probably more excited about the potential growth of Javon Carter. I totally agree with that at this point of George Hill's career. But if he becomes that really solid, reliable, backup veteran guard again that you can really trust, uh, I think it's good. So if George Hill's trying to dunk on Serge Barker in September, that's interesting. I want to talk about the Los Angeles Lakers and Darvin Ham and his resume under Mike Budenholzer. We've seen some interesting things come out of the Los Angeles Lakers camp. So stick with me here because there's been a lot of critics of Mike Budenholzer over recent years. And some interesting uh, quotes, uh, some interesting things that we're seeing from the Lakers training camp that I don't think Bucks fans are going to be all that surprised about. But it comes back to a narrative I've pushed for a long time when it comes to NBA coaches and how difficult it can be to choose or predict who we think Uh, Is going to be a great coach in this league. But first of all, I want to talk about Bet Online. Bet Online is your number one source for football betting info this season. Uh, The NFL a few weeks in now. So if you're a Packers fan from Wisconsin or across the world and listening to Locked On Bucks, you can find all the latest player developments, team matchups, news, podcasts, and in depth articles and analysis on every game you can find. As always, Bet Online remains your com- continued source for all your sports wagering information with live betting and up-to-the-minute scores for every sport out there. It's the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite games and events, including MLB, MMA, boxing, and golf. Of course, NBA as well. A lot of NBA fans listening to this podcast, so uh, you can check out futures for the NBA. Do you think the Bucks are going to win the title? Do you think Giannis is going to win MVP? Or do you think Giannis could win his second Defensive Player of the Year award? You can find all those odds and we even earlier I should get these odds for next podcast we had Six Man of the Year award Bobby Portis potentially one of the favorites for that award there he started most of the games last year which probably knocked him out of contention there started too many games but he was a 15 and 10 guy even if he's not starting this year I think you can pencil him in for double digit scoring and he's a really great rebounder as we know maybe Bobby Portis is a six man of the year chance but you can find all those odds by heading to betonline.net or use your mobile device to learn more. That's betonline, where the game starts. All right, going to have a little drink here, but we want to talk about Darvin Ham and the Los Angeles Lakers. So I, I think fair to say Darvin Ham really, really popular among Bucks fans uh, for his relationships with the players. Obviously, he was a popular former Buck. And I think sometimes, and this is something I've said for a long time, I think sometimes it's easier to love the assistant coaches more than the head coaches, or perhaps let the assistant coaches slide a little bit more with what's going on on the floor, particularly with the Bucks, because he, one of the things that's been interesting and with the way that Mike holds a runs his staff, the guys that he has under him, there's not really clearly defined roles or responsibilities that at least are publicly known for fans or or people that are watching the game. So an example I would have is if you go back to the Jason Kidd days with the Bucks, and even the Jason Kidd days in Dallas right now, we know assistant coach Sean Sweeney, heavily involved in the defensive principles and the defensive scheme. So I remember back to the Jason Kidd days, and it was when the Bucs obviously had their first season. They were the second-ranked defense in the league. There wasn't much change in years. Felt like the Bucs kind of got figured out. There was some personnel change. They probably got younger. They didn't have the veterans that they had in the first year, and the defense really, really struggled. And so there was a lot of, uh, I would say, critics of Sean Sweeney and what he was doing for the Milwaukee Bucks defense. Now, with Darvin Ham, I think in general, because he's such a fan favorite, there was never really a lot of critics for what uh, he was doing for the Bucs. But there was also a lot of noise, certainly in my Twitter mentions that, you know, Firebud hired Darvin Ham. Now, I would bet working under Mike Budenholzer for a long period of time, that Darvin Ham is going to be a pretty good coach because everyone that's been around him, whether it is the players, whether it's uh, people that have, have coached Darvin previously or been around him at previous stops that he's had, has nothing but good things to say about Darwin and what they think that he will bring. Even in a really challenging situation like Los Angeles, where you've got Russell, you've got LeBron, you've got AD, and really you've got the spotlight that you're just not going to get in a place like Milwaukee. But it's fascinating that when you listen to all the critics that have said, well, get rid of Bart and bring in Darwin. We need, we need something different. And then I've jotted a few things down that I've seen from Los Angeles training camp over the last few days. So there was a quote from Darwin Ham suggesting that he wants Anthony Davis to defend like Brook Lopez. Now, even though the the drop defense, the the heavy drop scheme that the Bucs have run, you know, clearly plays into the strengths of Brook Lopez. He's just a humongous man you don't really want him switching out on the perimeter having to slide his feet, even though Brooke Lopez would argue that he likes that challenge. The idea of having him in the paint, he's so smart. His timing is so excellent. He's become one of the best defensive bigs in the league. So when you hear that Darwin Ham says, well, I want Anthony Davis to defend like that. Okay. It tells you that, you know, the Lakers, you're going to see a lot of drop coverage. Anthony Davis is an elite defender, but you're going to see a lot of drop coverage, which has been heavily slammed by Bucks fans over the years for, for, yeah, multiple reasons, which is fine. The next thing is the blue boxes in the practice facility. So the Lakers, uh, and you have seen the Lakers beat writers writing about it, and they're curious about it. Which for Milwaukee Bucks fans is old news. So for those that don't know, if you go to the Bucks practice facility, and it's basically evolved every year. But so last year, you've got four, uh, uh, sorry, four boxes around the perimeter, basically corner at the at the two breaks and then one uh, above above the break, which is essentially just guys knowing that if you're in transition, you run into those spots. That's the optimum spacing uh, for the offense, and in particular for Giannis. Last year, they introduced a box, sort of a rectangle under the basket for someone that uh, can roam in the dunker spot. We know the dunker spot's been a heavy part of the Milwaukee Bucks offense. So the fact that the Lakers are using that now, okay, so Darwin Hams brought that from the Milwaukee Bucks, and he was obviously involved in in implementing that for the Milwaukee Bucks as well. So, yeah, you know, but the idea being that we're starting to see some things that are looking very Milwaukee bucky uh from Darvin Ham. The last comment was the fact that he said, we don't really need LeBron and AD playing big minutes in October and November. If you remember, uh, during the regular season, right from year one, Giannis was playing big minutes under Jason Kidd. Oh, kid, I don't think, really worried too much about managing players, managing health. I think it was more in old-school mentality of get out there and play. It looks like, to this point, that Darwin is understanding that, look, I know LeBron has played 37 minutes a game last year. And I can't remember, who was that person that said that, uh, Gilbert Arenas, I think it was, was it, that was saying that Giannis you can't be the best player in the world because he doesn't play 37 minutes a night. Yeah, logically speaking, LeBron shouldn't be at his age and playing 37 minutes a night. It's why it continually breaks down towards the back end of the season because his body has been through literally the amount of minutes that no one else in the history of the game has. So, Darvin Ham is going to be managing the Lakers. So, all these things put together does give you confidence that the Lakers might be able to have some semblance of system. But ultimately, I just come back to the idea that if Darvin Ham has worked under Bud for so long and said, okay, these are the systems I want to bring to the Lakers because I've seen it work winning the championship is really hard but consistently these are the things that help a team be successful in the regular season uh, i just think it's fascinating and it's another reminder that the idea that well darvin Ham's is going to be a great coach but bud is no good was always ridiculous it is ridiculous i think bud is in one of the in, in the top handful coaches in the league no he's not perfect he's not perfect but he's his record tells you that he's a really really good coach and i think the i and and i just think that Looking at Darwin and how many things he's bringing across from the Bucs. And I'm sure, you know, part of it is his own implementations on Milwaukee when he was there. But it tells you this is why coaches that have been in the Spurs system under Greg Popovich and now in the Mike Budenholzer system are continually getting jobs because Bud is really good at this. He's really good. And you always have this idea that the grass is greener on the other side. I don't think it's necessarily the case at all. There were some interesting comments from Jordan Wara, and we've discussed him a lot on the podcast over the last couple of weeks. You It was interesting to see that he did re-sign with the Bucs or sign an an extension with the Bucs to stay. You know, I personally wasn't 100% sure that that was going to be the case. But even through his restricted free agency, and Jordan Wara spoke about the fact that there was some potential interest elsewhere, but he did still spend the entire offseason with the Bucs working out in the facility, those types of things, being around the coaches, which I think is really helpful because if he is going to stick around with the Bucs and we've spoken about the things that he needs to do to get consistent minutes, particularly on the defensive end of the ball, the fact that he is still being uh, with the coaches, getting the same message, not not walking away from the team and being disgruntled and saying, okay, where am I going to play? What am I going to do for myself? He's still bought into the idea of being in Milwaukee with this franchise. I think it's a huge positive but he did say a couple of things that were interesting and we heard Jordan Moore last year speak a lot about the defensive side of the ball and the fact that you know the coaches have been you know harsh on him there's a short leash he understands what he needs to do but he was learning on the fly and i think it was just a really challenging position to be in when you know that the leash is really short a one or two little breakdowns and you're off the floor It's probably hard mentally to get yourself up to play that role every single night. But he said that the message didn't really get through to him until this summer, which is interesting. Last year, there was a little bit of security. He knew he was going to be back on the box. There was no real suggestion anywhere that they weren't going to have him on the roster last year, despite the fact he was coming into year two as a second round pick. So maybe this year, the fact that there was a little bit of uncertainty about his future He didn't really know where he was going to play and maybe he would have ended up in a worse situation than Milwaukee where he knows that he's playing with the best player in the world. He's playing under a really good coaching staff in a situation where he has a chance to play on a team that will win and really has a legitimate chance to get minutes on this team. I am curious whether this is just talk or whether we see anything different. And as we discussed or as I discussed on the podcast with Frank two days ago, I think that there's a real chance for minutes early in the season, particularly in a battle between Marjon Beauchamp and Jordan War playing at the wing spot because Chris Middleton is likely to miss the start of the season and Joe Ingles is obviously out until probably at the turn of the new year. Speaking of Joe Ingles, though, so, so Drew Holiday, a couple of things that he said. So he said that Joe is kind of dirty, an a-hole, and just really a general pain to play against. The Bucks do have a lot of nice guys on their roster, and yeah, Joe Ingles, in terms of his locker room impact, will be immense. I think he's going to be really well-liked. He was loved in Utah. But I think it's fair to say that yeah, playing against Joe Ingles, he talks a lot. He probably pisses a lot of people off, and it's not in the same mold as a as a PJ Tucker who is just ferocious at your face all the time. It's a different level of um, probably aggression and physicality. But I do think that, and I've thought this for a long time, that the Bucks can add some asshole to their roster. I don't think it's a bad thing, particularly on the court. You know, you need those type of guys that are willing to compete, that are willing to to annoy the opposition and be a pest and get under their skin. I, I think I think it's a good addition to have for a team that wants to go deep in the postseason. The Celtics certainly had those guys last year. You know, Marcus Smart is one of those guys. Grant Williams is definitely one of those guys, and they're annoying. And they would have been annoying to play against. And they were talking all the time. And again, I'm I'm not suggesting that you know, if Joe Ingalls was healthy and on that team last year, that it changes the result. Who knows? But the Bucks do have a bunch of nice guys, and that's why we love them, and that's why they're so even, and that's why every season you know that they're going to be really, really good. But I do think that there's room for some arsehole in the locker room. And I think that Joe's going to be loved in Milwaukee. I think the fans will love him, but I think having that little bit of an edge on the court when he returns in the new year, hopefully playing good basketball, we've spoken about what he can do on the court. I do like the idea of having a bit of an asshole on the court in terms of that trash talk attitude. The Bucks could use that, I think. Josh Semro on Twitter brought up an interesting topic. And if I pull up this tweet here, let me read this. As I get up my notifications here. So he tagged Frank and myself in this. He says, Is there any merit to the idea of assigning tax penalty dollars to the biggest contracts on the team rather than the marginal players? We stopped counting Giannis hit at 42.5 million, but we talk about War accounting for 15 million rather than his actual 3 million. We all agree, Giannis provides surplus value. One, War won't ever be worth the 15 million that we have to pay him on the roster. It's just a little shift in ideology, but it might be a healthier way to look at it. So, to me, I like we always talk about money, and Frank is the big one that says, "Well, it's not for us to really care about the owner's money." I agree with that. They got a lot of money; they can afford to give Jordan War this contract. But I do think that it's also you know, reasonable for us all to look at the bucks as a business. So this is why the Jordan Wara topic of how much money, if he's on the roster at the end of the season, why that tax money is worth mentioning. And Giannis, you don't really talk about his contract or Drew Holiday. You don't talk about his contract. So if you just look at the Bucks purely as business in terms of their expenditure, you know, Giannis can only earn what he can earn because of the max player rules. Everyone understands that he would be worth whatever you could pay him. He'd be worth a hundred million dollars for, what he brings to the franchise, not only on the court, but off the court. I mean, this franchise is making endless money because of Giannis. So if you were looking at it from an owner's point of view, this is why we don't talk about the tax dollars and the impact of having the players on the big contracts, because generally they're worth it. I think about a guy like uh, you know, Andrew Wiggins last year with the Golden State Warriors. The reason people were talking about his tax dollars and why his contract was so expensive is because they didn't think that he was worth it at the time. Now that investment ended up being well and truly worth it for the golden state warriors. But if the bucks had a player that was, that was seriously underperforming. So let's go back a couple of years to Eric Bledsoe. Now I love Eric Bledsoe, but if he was still on this roster and he was on $35 million, you'd be looking at that contract and saying, well, If the Bucs haven't won a title, if he wasn't able to perform in the postseason, there'll be heavy scrutiny over the money that he's being paid uh, for that deal. Now, the Bucs aren't going to do that with their best players. And we're not going to discuss the contract of Giannis because, again, whatever they're paying in the tax is 100% worth it. But when you do get to the bottom end of the roster, and we discussed the rotation a few days ago, you get to 10 guys pretty quickly, and then you're looking at guys like, Thanasis and Jordan War, potentially Marjon Beauchamp, uh, maybe one of George Hill or Javon Carter, but but all these guys, Serge Barker, another one that they brought back. And there's really not that many minutes there. And particularly in the postseason, it's going to be really difficult unless something goes seriously wrong for them to play major minutes. So that's why when you're saying, okay, are the Bucks going to add a 15th roster spot? Are they going to have this contract on the books by the end of the season? That's why it's a talking point for the tax. So, it's it's not even necessarily critical of Jordan War in my opinion I certainly you know if I talk about the tax dollars it's not I I you know Jordan war I I think is an NBA player to so whatever deal he earns good for him and whatever the tax bill is who cares but I think it's fascinating that the bucks will potentially and we'll see what happens over the next six months potentially willing to carry that money on the books and that's why it's a talking point so yeah I, I don't really have too much of an issue with how that conversation is held because ultimately when you're spending as much money as the bucks are it's the moves on the fringes uh, that are going to be the talking point that really send uh, that tax bill skyrocketing so again if there wasn't max deals Giannis, give him 100 million dollars give him 200 million dollars i don't really care he owns it all he deserves it all for everything that he's done for this team Uh, But uh, I I can guarantee you Frank's going to continue to talk around the margins, the the fringes of the salary cap stuff. And I find it truly fascinating because I'll never know as much about the salary cap as Frank Madden does. All right, let's look to wrap up this podcast now. And make sure you check out the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast with Josh Lloyd, fellow Aussie. If you're playing fantasy basketball, you're probably getting ready for your draft here in the next couple of days. So check that out. Josh does a fantastic job. It's the number one show on the NBA network. Does absolutely ridiculous numbers. So listen to that after you're done with Locked On Bucks. Uh, we'll have a podcast tomorrow to wrap up the week. Uh, and then preseason basketball is just around the corner. Postgame pods will be back. Thank you for listening. Make sure you subscribe. We'll speak to you guys tomorrow.